We did have an amazing interview. I have to tell you, she sent me the questions late last night that she wanted to pursue. I was so impressed. The questions are really great. They were very thoughtful questions. They pointed to someone who is a thinker and someone who is reaching for, you know, the spiritual ground you and I have talked about and worked on. She comes out from that ground, the, the, the ground of self-inquiry. This is the perfect way to start your day, start your business, start your life, change your mentality, understand where your powerfulness comes from. She can help you get there. She gives great advice. She has so much wisdom, so much that you can learn from her. I feel more powerful, in control, and more creative after listening to Sabrina's podcast. I wish I were creating this podcast. Hey there. To kick off my brand new Success to Sabrina podcast, we're giving away an awesome prize, a Bose earbud. To get a chance to win this prize, all you have to do is go to www.timestrategic.com and follow the three simple steps. Subscribe to the Success with Sabrina podcast, which is all about winning in business. This podcast is definitely for you if you sometimes feel frustrated, overwhelmed, and if you feel that there's something holding you back. Now, to give yourself an even better chance to win this prize, all you have to do is share the Facebook post link that you'll be receiving on your email with your friends. Every time you share, you get more points. And the more points you have, the better chance of winning. And you'll be helping other business owners to regain control of their business. I bet you are already thinking of some business owners you know who would love to go from frustrated and overwhelmed to confident and in control of their business. Go ahead and share the Facebook post with them right now. Thanks for listening, for subscribing to the Success with Sabrina podcast, for giving me an honest five-star review, and for sharing it with your friends. Uh, now, some companies have policies like bring your own device. Is that a good idea to do? And in which cases? Um, I think bring your own device policies, uh, it's very convenient for the employer or for the corporation because you don't have to provide mobile phones anymore or tablets, uh, laptops. But um, let's assume, we, let's take Microsoft or Google, it doesn't really matter. So I, I provide you an email address, you can configure your phone. And the first thing the phone will ask you, uh, let's say Office 365, Office requires you to manage this device. And they're like, oh, why should I do it? And then they say no. So now, the person, my employee, loses the phone and I have no access to it at all. If I would have uh, the bring your own device policies that implemented by Microsoft Office 365, I can log on to my portal, click a button and wipe the entire phone so my data is safe. Because nobody really cares about an iPhone that is lost or an Android phone. People care about their data more. And if I can protect the data with a click on a button and the phone gets wiped, yeah, then I just lost the phone. Um, so... I think bring your own device policies are really good and two-step authentication should be enforced that you can set up the account and the, the, the IT manager of the corporation should give a one-time code so they can add the account to the phone, but the client or the employee cannot add the, the, the information on any other phone. So you can make sure that you can control the devices and you know where it is. That's very important. I love that. So it's not a... not you know, to eliminate that kind of policy, but how do you, what do you do uh, when you have that policy set in place, right? So right. have more control, basically, be able to track those devices in case you need to. And people need to know 
if you're the person who actually lost the phone or whatever the case might be, who is my point of contact, what to do? A lot of corporations have all this infrastructure in place, but the employees have no idea what to do. Like if you have a virus, unplug the power cord right away or the network cable, uh, both of it in best case scenario, or call your IT guy and most of the companies fail to educate their staff what to do if you bring your own device is stolen. They're like, yeah, okay, I'm going to get a new device. But you didn't realize that you have to call your company and tell them, hey, I just lost my phone. It was not locked. And now somebody has my phone somewhere, you know? Right. right. So let, let's repeat that because I think that's important. And we're trying to cover so much here and maybe it's going to get missed, you know? Um, so you just said in case you do encounter a situation that a virus came in, right? You clicked on the wrong link. And now you're facing a virus or something like that. Something is odd, right? Sometimes we don't even know if it's a virus. What is it, right? But you realize there's something odd going on. What do you do then? The first thing is have a point of contact. And uh, it can be your manager if he's educated about this topic, or it could be your IT department. Or if you a small one-man show office, um, before people do things, it's like a credit card in your wallet, right? People only know the number when they lost the credit card, instead of writing the number down, and if case happens, I have the number somewhere and I can call my credit card company because the card number is printed on the card, obviously. So in your, in your business, um, know who to contact if stuff happens. If your, your Google account get hacked, uh, how do I prevent it? How do I get back in? What security measures do I have? If your office accounts get hacked, how do I call Microsoft uh, support right away? And so things like this. If your corporate uh, issue is, what is the, the quickest way for the employee to inform my company IT administrator to say, hey, I lost my phone, I left it on the table, it's uh, net locked on my tablet, and data might be compromised. Can you please wipe the device? Okay. And um, after calling the person, what else do you do? Like, let's say you don't get a hold of the manager or whatever. What, do you, what can you do on your own? Should you just power off? What should you do? If you lost it, you can do anything. If you think your device, whatever it is, I would unplug it right away and disconnect the internet. If it's a phone, um, I would say break uh, the Wi-Fi connection, just turn it off, put it in flight mode. There's an essential thing that I like to mention about phones. It's, it happens less and less because the phone providers keep catching up. Years ago, or even still today, people jailbreak their iPhones or root the regular phones that are Android just to get free apps from different stores. You don't even know who made these apps, but you're putting them on your phone with all the config data on that. And that's why bring your own device policies are so important that you can't do this when you have a phone like this, you know? Yes, yes, very true. Now, there's one thing that I want to talk about that is very important to businesses um, to be aware of, right? And that is that, you know, besides... Uh, when you when something like this happens and there's obviously loss of compromised data, loss of revenue, your reputation um, is going to be damaged for sure. But are there any regulatory fines that are the business face today? And can um, you give us an example, maybe, of something that you're aware okay, of? Okay, so somebody said something in my in one of my events, which was very interesting. So when I spoke about compliance and stuff, you have to do right. If you look at Right now, the hottest topic is you cannot have Windows 7 anymore because it's an end-of-life product and in business, it's not supported. It has security gaps. You should have Windows 10. So I was recently in one of the cancer hospitals. An entire hospital runs on Windows 7 um, and they have millions and millions of patients' information. So when I pointed that out, they said, I don't have the funds right now to update. And they said, it's not, uh, um, I wouldn't say illegal, but it's against the policies unless you get caught. 
So that's interesting, the mindset to have like you can kill somebody and it's okay unless you get caught and it's a problem. So that's, that's a weird statement because um, if, if you get audited by total accident, it can be up to $10,000 per machine if they can prove that your data got breached. And we had a case that um, law enforcement literally called us, the FBI called us and said this person um, is having a live connection from their router to Russia and they're streaming tons of data over. So the, the, the provider noticed that there was a huge data transaction in a, compared to normal behavior and then from law enforcement and uh, the client got breached by doing whatever they did. And uh, so they got a huge fine. Um, wow. If you get caught, it's going to cost you a lot and probably you can close your business. Crazy. Wow. How many breaches do you think were known uh, about in 2019? And yeah, we talked about that they're increasing, right? Like Yes. Um, so the breaches, is, is, I would say, there's the statement, um, never believe a statistic unless you faked it yourself. So <laughs> if you consider what happened, uh, and I'm pointing out the fact here, uh, on February 22nd, um, no, on January 22nd, the NSA released a statement that they could prove that Microsoft had a security gap in the systems and they could get breach in the computers, allows bad guys to come in and to encrypt your entire data. So um, that was three weeks after we found out certain vulnerabilities and Microsoft silently admitted, yes, we kind of got hacked on December 31st. Same as Google was like, yeah, we kind of lost like 1.2 billion user accounts a couple of months ago. Sorry, happened. So th the numbers that you see are not really reflecting what is in there because nobody wants to put out that their system is bad, right? We're talking about VPN. The biggest East Coast provider for VPN technology got hacked and they kind of not really spoke about it because it's kind of bad that you trust me with your data and I got hacked, you know? So it's bad for business. Mm -hmm. So I would say the statistics are out there if they're true. I kind of highly doubt it. Hmm. Wow, crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. Well, so talking about social media accounts now, because this is one thing that we see all the time. Uh, what should people not have in their social media profiles? You have to understand, and I take this topic very serious, because um, I, I have seen a lot of cases where young women and kids got abducted or raped or murdered, child trafficking, and... Uh, so when I advise universities and I give speeches at universities, I, I explain to them, your phone has high-resolution cameras. You might not see all the details on the computer, uh, on the phone, but you can see them on the computer. So you, you tag yourself uh, and you tag your location and you do this all the time and you have IDs on, you post information where you live, you post information where you work. Some people make selfies and in the background you see the computer open with your email address or your business card or... Um, yeah. some people even posted in Florida, I couldn't believe it, uh, an employee of my client posted her Mariana license uh, on Instagram with all the information. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. Another mm -hmm. person just posted her, her driver's license. So I drove to her house and she said, what are you doing here? And I was like, you just posted the information public. And so situational awareness, again, um, if you put something out there, make sure you, you tag anything you want when you're not there anymore. You don't have to text somebody uh, that we both at the club right now. Nobody's at my house and you can empty my house. You can also not create a blueprint for people. You don't put yourself in, in harm's way by putting your, your email address out there or your, your, 
your work address. You know, it, it's sad, but these days, a pretty picture of an 18-year-old half-nude girl gets a million likes, um, and somebody who talks about the serious issues gets maybe 20 likes. And these, these uh, individuals do not know who is following them because everybody wants to have followers. But then again, how do you feel if only five of these unknown followers follow your home from the subway to your door? How would you feel then? And so I think um, social media is a great tool. It just needs to be more, I would say, educated on this part and used carefully. Yeah, and I think this is great information even for us parents out there, right? When our, our children are beginning to become right. teenagers and beginning to create these accounts and how are we going to protect them and educate them, right? right? Okay, so I know that we've talked a little bit about hacking. Uh, what is phishing? Phishing uh, is very interesting. So phishing is like it says, you go out and try to get a fish. So I have seen emails that, and it's, it's very interesting, and sometimes people tell me, why are you not doing it if you have all the knowledge? <laughs> but <laughs> right. I know the guy who's better than me. So I, would, I have seen an email that went to a huge corporation, and if you're a CEO of a company, like I'm the CEO of my company, I, I'm known, so people know my name. So um, the person just literally scammed an email and saying, hey, this is, let's say, Peter, um, and he sent this email to accounting at company.com, which I do not recommend to have this email address because it's, it's guessable, you know, make it something different. So he sent an email to accounting and says, hey, uh, this is Peter, this is a new vendor, we need to pay the $90 bill instantly and da 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 So this person paid $90,000 and wired the money to a bank in Hong Kong, which is already a bad thing to do. But what most of the people do not know is in Hong Kong is a law that if the money you wired uh, is involved in some illegal uh, actions, they start interactions with law enforcement right away and the bank keeps the money. Or if the money has already been moved somewhere else, from Hong Kong to, let's say, South Africa or wherever, it doesn't really matter, then the money and all the corporations is your fruits because China doesn't cooperate really when it comes to these kinds of information with the United States. And so phishing email is impersonating somebody important closest to you or somebody like Apple and you have to go to CVS, as I said earlier, and get credit cards. So phishing email is impersonating somebody to get the benefit out of it. Wow, that's crazy. So what are some of the more common types of phishing attacks? Like I know there's so many names out there and it gets so cloudy. You know, there's like spare phishing, waddling farming, clone phishing. <laughs> I mean, it gets so confusing, right? Um, and I was when I was reading this, I was like, "Who comes comes up with those names?" Really. <laughs> I mean, I would say phishing is phishing. Um, see, the thing is, the, the kind of fish you get might be different, right? But the technology is pretty much the same. And um, when when you receive an email, and that's what we educate our clients on. And you not even if you might know the person who sent you the emails, you do not know the infrastructure. Are you sure they didn't get hacked? So if you receive an email which an attachment or information that you're not 100% sure that I really was waiting for this man, pick up the phone and talk to the person. Did you just send this to me? If he says no, then I would say check your information. But uh, if you receive an email like your Office 365 account needs payment, then uh, don't click on the link. Go to office.com. And so back to uh, use common sense and also do your diligence. Did I really wait for this? And Stefan, I know that sometimes you can look at a link uh, and see if it, it looks a little weird, right? But can they also hide 
the link destination so that it's not possible to know? Um, no, it depends on your Outlook settings. So if, you, if you're able to read or cross-read between text and regular words, um, it's, it, the steps are different on a Mac to a Windows, but let's assume you use Microsoft Outlook. You open up the email that you think it's a, it's a fraudulent email in question. And once the email is up, you can actually click on the menu and you can say show source, the source code. So in the source code, let's say on, on the regular email view, you see uh, your account at Microsoft.com. So now uh, that's the display name. That's what I want you to see. That doesn't mean it's a real address. So now that you see the source code, you see all the text and the, the weird symbols, but you will also see written text. And now you will see suddenly uh, ABCDYAZ at yada yada dot RU or whatever. So now you see, oh, the, the email is coming from Russia, for example. Uh, it, I'm sorry that I have to mention Russia a lot, but just sadly a lot of stuff comes from Russia. So um, and in this case... If you think it's it's not legit or you have some kind of feeling it's wrong, just switch the view and look at the source code. And um, if you don't know how to read it, then just call back or verify if the email is legit. If it has an attachment and you have a good antivirus, you can right-click on the attachment and say scan with antivirus before you copy to the desktop and open it, you know? Okay, yeah. So should business owners have a gateway email to filter mass-targeted phishing emails and a web security gateway? Um, I think so. Um, I, I How much does it cost to install and maintain this? It depends on the service that you're using. And, and then again, it, it comes with the same thing like the antivirus. You can have a basic uh, antivirus that does just scan your computer and you can have something that monitors everything you do and annoy, uh, annoys, <laughs> um, alerts you when something is going on. So the same thing is with, with gateway services. You can actually reroute all the emails you have into the cloud. They've been pre-screened, and then it'll be forwarded to you. And I know that um, certain, like Avast and other companies, they offer this product, and it goes up to like $60 per month per license. It really depends also based on volume and how many emails you get. If you only have one email, which is info at mycompany.com, uh, which I don't recommend to have info at anymore, but... If you do have an email like this and you get 5,000 emails a day, it costs you probably more than you're getting like 10 emails a day to this email. It depends on the size of the company. And why don't you recommend? Like what, what's behind that? What, why do you say I don't recommend that anymore? Because these kind of information, um, the number one password in the United States is one to three password. So number one email is used uh, is info ad or admin ad. So if I want to scam you and send a phishing email, I would say... Um, info at stocking.biz and I would get an email to info at stocking.biz and if the person is not paying attention right away we might be vulnerable to it so that's why I would uh, create different email addresses sure there are crawlers they're called crawlers programs out there that scan for websites and information on websites which emails are on there but um, I would take away as much like I said make it harder yeah, I was curious about what you're going to say about that because I actually advise my clients not to use info at, but for a total different reason, just because when you're doing CRM, a lot of times they go to junk email. So then that's another reason why you wouldn't want to use those emails that are um, already considered spam emails in a way. So you want to put your first name. That's what I always tell my clients when you're sending emails for marketing. You want to put your name at and not info mm -hmm. at. Yeah. Right. What do we do uh, when a data processor is involved? Yeah, see, that's a similar thing with the cloud, right? People always think the cloud is some magical unicorn in somewhere. The cloud is nothing else than an array of computers administrated by human beings. So the same as your data processor in the middle. Like, um, you, 
you kind of buy trust and you pay for it, right? So name brands, uh, you name the companies that got recently uh, hacked. We usually trust them to, to keep our data safe and to the best of their abilities, but then they're also human beings and you only need one smart guy or one moron to screw things up. So if you have if you have a data processor in the middle and the data is safe and the administrator makes one mistake and uh, the system gets infected, then it's out of your hands. You just have to make sure that whoever you pick is big enough that you can have an insurance. A lot of corporations offer you, if something happens, the data is insured and there's compensation involved. And if the company just closes the doors and walks away, so do your diligence who you make business with. Got it. That makes sense. Now, you, you mentioned the cloud several times and I almost feel like uh, what you're saying is that it's even more dangerous to be in the cloud for businesses out there that are thinking about digital transformation, you know. So, I mean, now give us some light at the end of this tunnel, please, because, you know, we, we hear so much about digital transformation and how, you know, this is the way to go. Uh, but the way you're sounding, it just sounds like maybe not. So I think it's a two-way street, right? The cloud is very, very convenient. Uh, you have backup functions. They have implemented antivirus security uh, rules and stuff like that. It's, it's really great. But you need to understand that whatever you do in the cloud, it's computers stored somewhere. So that's one part. Uh, if I move everything to the cloud and accessible from everywhere, every device, it's really great. So now consider you have an office with 50 people and or you have a hotel and your entire management software is cloud-based. Now, um, down the block, somebody has construction and cuts the main artery to the internet node, and now you have two months, no, which happened in New York on 78th Street, you have two months, no internet in the entire building. How does your 50 employees get there and work? You know, so that's one part. So if you have your own infrastructure and you have a very good IT team or you do it yourself, you can build your own infrastructure and you can have a hybrid between cloud and local. Uh, and then also you trust that corporations like uh, QuickBooks got hacked January 1st uh, or January 6th, uh, Microsoft, uh, Google, you name it, the list is endless, right? So you trust them that they keep your data safe. And then at the end of the day, it was not. So um, I would say there is no perfect system. You just have to evaluate which data you allow to be in the cloud and which one is very sensitive and confidential and you want to store it more confidentially, maybe locally with limited access to people. Yeah, so what you said right now brings me to the next question, which is what are confidentiality, integrity, and availability, and cyber resilience? Like I said, everything that is able to, I would say, financially uh, or in any kind of relationship or emotionally hurt an individual or a corporation, I think that's considered confidential data that can do harm in any way to others, right? And this data should be handled in, in, in a specific way that you don't copy it on a USB drive and leave it everywhere so people can take it and copy it over. You you secure it, if it's a data center, if it's a secure server, you have single sign-on, secure passwords, lockout policies. There are so many things that you can do to keep data safe. And also so many things that makes you remembering how you kept them safe. Because a lot of people make super secure passwords and then they don't know what they did. And how to, or they make a, I saw at CVS a book, it says my password list. And you can write all the passwords inside. And I have seen people using these books. And I was like, you're going to be kidding me. Like if I steal the books, I have all your access. And uh, so, yeah, I would say anything that can harm you, uh, put it in a way and don't talk about it. Put, it. put it in a safe way and don't share the information with, uh, yeah, on a need basis only. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
I'll tell you what I did with my passwords. So let, let's let's put me on the check. I'm on the hot seat, guys. <laughs> so I created an Excel spreadsheet and then I encrypted it. Okay. So that you have to have one master password to be able to access the file. Is that safe enough? It depends who encrypted it and which software. So I like to mention something about the encryption software, right? It is safe enough. The password is not one two three four five, so that could be hacked probably easily. So, but any software like WinRAR comes uh, is a German software. Any software produced in Germany that is a security software, Germany has a law for almost thirty years that any software and hardware in the IT field cannot have a backdoor. So if you lose your password, the data is gone forever. So you want to make sure that you don't create um, a software that you encrypt your Excel sheet with or whatever, and then the software is uh, a company that has a backdoor. And if the password gets leaked, which you can easily find in the dark web, then um, you just can log on to this Excel sheet. So you just want to make sure that the password is safe and the corporation that you choose is a good one. Okay, that makes sense. And, and you know, talking about the dark web, Stefan, what is the average value on the dark web for, let's say, your PayPal login? Guys, like, this has a market value, like, just so you know. And I want to find out, like, on average, how much is your PayPal login um, value on the dark web or your online bank details, your password, match.com. Let's talk about dating apps, right? Okay. <laughs> so... Um... I would say a very important source for people to check. There is a website called Have I Been Pawned? You can type your email in there and they will show you if your value is on their website. So you can download right now for a fraction of money um, a one gigabyte long file that has a tremendous amount of information about people, email address, first name, last name, uh, uh, how much people, let's, assume, let's assume this information came from the Google hack, right? People actually, if they're not really, uh, if they answered everything honestly, you will write down where you live, how much money you make, all your information in your Google profile. So now this profile information got stolen and now it's available in the dark web. So um, including credit card information, all this stuff. It, it's, it's um, I wouldn't want to make it, price on it, but these information are for sale and the currency obviously is cryptocurrency and the dark web. So uh, you, you can have a dark web account and you can buy these information. Wow, that's so crazy. Um, so if you thought sending pictures, like let's say that you, you, you know, after this podcast, you listen to it and you realize that you've made some mistakes. You've learned that, you know, sending passport pictures on an email because your brother-in-law is planning the trip and he needs your passport information or whatever it is, um, is not safe, right? Let's say you've done that in the past. Um, so what do you do now? Like, do you go back and you delete this email? Like, what exactly? Like, is it just out there now? Like, or if nothing happened up until now, then you're safe. Like, what, how do you go about it? Trying to correct the mistakes from the past, maybe. So um, I would say once it's out there, it's out there, right? Because... The email is not only on your relative's computer. It has to go to the computer somehow. So it goes over an email server, which is probably somewhere hosted. And then it's either pop, IMAP, mapping, whatever it is. It's, it's picked up from somewhere. So even if he has the email on his computer, the server's cloud has a copy as well. So if somebody works at this software company um, and take, takes copies of IDs and sells them to the dark web, that's definitely it happened. It, it is already out there. So um, 
that being said, I would send, and that comes down to value again, buy Adobe um, and you buy the professional version and you encrypt the file and you don't put in the same email the encryption password. So you basically send the email out with an encrypted PDF file on a need-to-know basis and you pick up the phone, which is hard for a lot of people because uh, the direct line is not there anymore. It's very convenient to just copy and paste everything. And you just say, hey, you know what? I just sent you an email. Here's the password. And so don't WhatsApp it. Don't text it. Just, just write it. Because you don't know how people handle this situation if they let's leave the phone somewhere and the WhatsApp has the information in there. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And how secure is it to use wireless networks? Everyone depends on them so much nowadays. How can a business make sure that users are safe when using wireless? Okay, so it depends on... on how, how you define the wireless? Is it the guest wireless that you use in the coffee place? Is it the wireless that you have in your office? Is it the hotel? So I see all the time. If you can connect to any any wireless, right? If it's not your business, if it's a guest wireless uh, or non-company related wireless, and you can look up the network environment and you see other computers, it's bad. You're not supposed to see anybody on your network at all. So your identity and uh, the discovery should be uh, hidden that you don't see who is on the network and they can't see you. Furthermore, if there is a free Wi-Fi, they don't want to have super high-end encrypted passwords because people wouldn't be not able to remember them. Usually you have a sign-on page and you get access right away and the sign-on page, even if nobody reads it, says you are liable for what you do if you do credit card fraud or you publish uh, pornography or whatever it is you do. It's it's you in charge and not the, the place that provides the Wi-Fi is responsible for it. So, but uh, if you're talking about the Wi-Fi you set up for your company, I will make it the latest encryption type, which is WPA2. Um, and then, of course, you should have a very secure password, which is lowercase, uppercase, symbols, and numbers, and maybe 10 to 16 characters in total. So that's what I would say that it is. And don't share it. Don't put a sticker on the entry door saying, hey, our Wi-Fi is this and this for everybody to come in, because once the password goes to your neighbor, the entire block will surf over your Wi-Fi. You know? mm-hmm. And we're getting close to ending our second episode of this podcast. And the last question that I want to ask is for businesses, and it's what equipment could I buy to protect my network? What are the must-haves? How do I protect my data and my servers? I mean, I would say the key answer is a firewall, uh, professional antivirus. If the antivirus doesn't include malware, buy, buy a malware byte program as well. Uh, make sure your systems are up to date. Uh, make sure that you have policies. If the computer is idle for a minute, two, three minutes, the screen locks or the user gets signed out, get kicked out. Um, and enforce policies that people only do on their computers what they're supposed to be doing. No private stuff, no gaming. Wow, amazing information, guys. And I, I, I find that, that he put it beautifully. Don't you guys agree that like it was actually, we were able to understand what we're talking about. So that's really cool. Thank you so much, Stefan, for your time and for really explaining it in a way that we understand it and it's front and center. And hopefully a lot of the business owners that listen to this podcast are going to feel the motivation that they need to take action, right? To really, uh, really start to take. And even if it's a small action, just like smaller steps, but that they put it as part of like a project that they're going to work on to make their networks more secure, for sure. Thank you again. I hope you have a wonderful day. Have a beautiful day as well. Thanks for joining us today. To join our free Facebook group and access the links and resources mentioned in the shows, 
and much more, go to www.sabrina-gagnon.com. That is G-A-G-N-O-N. You will become a member of a private Facebook group dedicated to providing the best practices, skills, and strategies to grow your business. And remember, we all have natural advantages that comes from our instinctive power. You are perfectly created to accomplish so much. Let's challenge the status quo and create a business and life you love. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.